Hello and welcome to the You're an Asset podcast. I'm your host, Casey the Dollar. And on this podcast, we find out who is an asset in the financial industry and who is just an ass. It is. The BMIs are stupid. On today's episode, I have a very special guest. I have not had a chance to connect with this person offline or even really online just yet, but I've been dying to have them on the show and I cannot wait to introduce them. So without further ado, please welcome MK. MK, I'm so happy to have you here. Thanks so much for joining me. I appreciate you for the invitation. Of course, of course. And I was just kind of mentioning to you how Every other guest I've had on the show has been a dude. There's tons and tons of dudes in this industry. Thank you for joining me, bringing some female energy to the podcast. I would love to just kind of start off with how old you are, where you're from, where you're located now, and how long you've had your license. Firstly, again, just want to say thank you again for having me on the podcast. I'm 26. I got into the insurance space when I was 22, so I'm going on five years in September I'm from Chicago. I'm still in Chicago. This is probably going to be my last year here because I am very much over the coat. Um, and I have an office out in uh, Oak Brook, which is like 30 minutes from Chicago in the suburbs. You got into the insurance industry young and you're, I mean, you're still young. So I've been licensed for four years. Have you been doing content for four years? No. <laughs> no. Okay. Uh, content is new. Oh, I've made content in general, but just not specifically about insurance. So, you yeah. know, content creation in general, I've been doing that for a while, way before I got into the insurance industry. Okay. Um, was more so from a motivational standpoint and inspiration. And, you know, I come from an activist organizing background. So a lot of that. But um, yeah. as far as content and insurance wise, it started about a year and a half ago. How did you get into the industry at 22? First of all, I did the whole college route, right? Got my degree yeah. so you could get a good job, right? Like they're taught to do $40,000 yeah. in debt later. And I uh, ended up not even doing what I got my degree for. I went to school for political science, so study of pre-law. And I started working not-for-profit on the West Side in the Austin community. It's kind of like an inner, I say it's the hood, okay? That's what I was doing. I was doing a lot of not-for-profit work. I'm not sure, Casey, if you've ever done not-for-profit before. I actually volunteered at a domestic violence shelter for a okay. year and just full non-profit, just spending my time over there. If that, if you count that, yes? Ish. So yes, it, it was willing. It was very willing, right? Yeah. Um, oh, I, yeah. I, <laughs> I tell people this all the time. Um, you know, if you, if you ever work not for profit on paper, you work a nine to five. But in actuality, you typically work a nine to nine. You just stop getting paid at five. And, uh, you know, people don't go into that space because they want to make money. People go into that space because they're passionate about helping people. And so I, I got into that space. And I remember I was doing a community event and I was, uh, you know, praying and hoping for God and the universe to, to give me a way out. Um, because I also had the opportunity to work at the state capitol and I got to see how policy is manipulated and it put a bad taste in my mouth. And so I was like, you know, I don't really know what this next level looks like, but I'm open. And yeah. a total stranger ended up coming out to the, one of the community events. He had a conversation around financial literacy, entrepreneurship. I'm like, I don't even know what how to spell entrepreneurship. I don't even know what that looks like, what that means. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I'm open. 
And that was uh, September 2019. And I went out to a local office, which was here in Oak Brook. And the rest was history. And so that was kind of my intro. I got introduced by a total stranger at the time. The stranger, what what were they doing out where you were? Just trying to recruit people to come into exactly. the finance industry? Yeah. Yep. Teaching people about finances, recruiting individuals to get into the industry or potentially educating families when it comes to financial literacy. Are you doing something similar now, like kind of going back to these communities and saying, hey, teach financial literacy? Absolutely. So I do a lot of community partnerships. Um, I come from a lot of grassroots organizations. So I I was very heavily involved in that space. And, you know, I'd be sitting at the table when it's originally just seven organizers. And then we have 2,000, 3,000 people marching downtown. And so I'm still very heavily involved, still doing some active youth work right now as we speak. Yeah, (laughs) Um, Not by choice, but, you know. Not by choice? What do you mean? (laughs) You know, working in the inner cities, you build a lot of good relationships with people. And, you know, you're kind of that, uh, like, inspiration. You know, and I had the chance to work with a lot of youth. And one of my wonderful youth happened to get into some trouble. And now I'm a a lawyer. So I'll leave it like that. (laughs) Getting to be uh, a lawyer, not because you wanted to be, because... Someone needs you. Exactly. In which, yeah. Okay. Just okay. having resources. So. Yeah. No, I mean, that's amazing, though. Of course, like the fact that you're able to help people in this way is it's incredible exactly. that you're doing that. I mean, major respect. Thank um, you. I did use one of the podcast episodes recently to have on a guy who has a nonprofit here in California, specifically in Orange County, who's been out protesting for Palestine, protesting for the BLM movement. And his main goal is educating BIPOC youth on financial literacy. I think it's really important that we do outreach for people who are not going to get this kind of information. It sounds like you're doing a lot of really important work in your community and then also in your personal life. What do you think has made you successful in the insurance industry since you got your license? There's a lot of boost to the grounds. Uh, as my mentor would say, shaking hands and kissing babies. And so, you know, talking to middle-class America that's typically overlooked and underserved, like that's really my target audience. Um, And so that's something that's been very big for me. And I think that that's something that's been helpful when people can tell that you have your heart in the right place. Uh, That's what matters the most. And I I tell people this, don't get me wrong, it's definitely a lucrative industry to get into. Um, However, if you're just getting into this industry just to make money, you're probably not going to be successful um, because people can smell commission breath on you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, I think it's important to when you're sitting down with people, talk to them like you're talking to your parents or your siblings or your grandparent or your uncle or your auntie. And people can feel that, Um, especially when I go out and I train my agents, they duplicate that same thing. And it's just a compound effect. One hundred percent. And anyone who is successful, who has commission breath, it's only a matter of time. You screw someone over, sell something that is not the right fit for somebody. The the truth is going to come out. So then I would love to know, you know, are you doing more like, or is it term policies? Are you doing other types of insurance, annuities, whole life? What are, what kind of products are you working with? So a, yeah. a mixture, a mixture of them all. So it, it really just depends on the individual. I also do fixed indexed annuities, fixed annuities as well. I don't okay. deal with anything variable or anything like that. I don't, I don't, again, just not the audience that I target. Would you say that um, your clients are on the younger side, older side, everything? Um, I would say probably happy medium would probably be 35 to like 50. It's interesting, right? Because you're 26 and your main audience is 35 to 50, which I think is so cool because it's same here, right? I'm 29. Most of my clients are 35 to 50 years old. Same thing. Yeah. If you want to avoid those chargebacks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> you want to avoid chargebacks? What do you mean? Yeah, yeah. So this business that sticks. I've, I've, I remember when I first got in the industry, so I was naive, right? I, I, my mentors are like, IEOs aren't for everybody. I'm like, forget that. Who wouldn't want compound interest? I'm like, you get an IEO, you get an IEO, you get an IEO. And uh, I remember um, literally a probably not even nine months into business, and just business started to fall off the books just because I, again, just wasn't being a student. Um, and, you know, making sure that I properly educate or just figuring out who's the target audience that will actually value and understand what this is. Okay. Um, and so that okay. was me, my my first year. Everybody got $100 IULs. <laughs> yeah. Like young people, they put $100 shirt. Sounds good. Yeah, and then and compared to the stock market, I'm like, bro, those are two different buckets. What are you talking about? But back then, I was naive and a little stubborn. And, you know, we live and we learn. Yeah. When I got into the industry, it was like, I was so excited and just telling everyone like, yeah, man, the compound interest, like get, get it started. Right. And then as we learn, as we grow, we get, okay, got a better strategy. IUL is not for everyone. So what was it that switched everything? Like what changed everything? Was it just time or was there anything specific that you're like, okay, I got a better handle on this now? Like, So I remember, I think I was going into my second year and Doug Andrew came out to one of our events. Oh, wow. And yes. And he was speaking on stage. He spoke about the laser fund. That's actually one of the books that I have on my shelf. Yeah. And I probably geeked out when he went on stage. Like that's because I didn't really understand IU Worlds. I didn't really understand compound interest. I still was in the industry and still thinking life insurance is death insurance. Right. Okay. And okay. I remember when Doug Andrew came on stage and he spoke about the history and he spoke about some of the actual live cases that he's done. And my brain was blown. I'm like, man, this is, this is, this is how the wealth gap exists. This is information that can significantly change lives. But, you know, he also emphasized very important things um, like funding, structuring and maintaining and different things like that. And so that was kind of like the kick for me. And even reading his book, it really made me start to become more a student of the business. Um, just seeing Doug Andrew come on stage and he's kind of like one of the OGs in the industry. And, you know, he was a buy-term invested difference at one point and eventually fell in love with the IULs and just his story and his education. That's what really took me over the edge to become more of a student. I read The Laser Fund twice now because the first time I read it, over oh, my head. <laughs> and all of us as a, as a company, we were like, we should read it again. I think we would get it a lot more like a year later. And yeah. we did. We were like, wow, it makes so much more sense, you guys. Like Everything is clicking. Um, that's really cool. I would love to know, are you working with the same place that you originally got recruited from in the beginning? So it's funny that you say, cause I know you mentioned that I'm the first woman that, uh, hopped on your call. Mm -hmm. uh, 50, 53% of our company are female. So we're the majority. Uh, yes. And multicultural at that. And so I, I tell it's super cool, especially in the financial service industry. Like I probably wouldn't get into it if I didn't see the diversity. And so when I got into this space and I saw people who actually looked like me who were having success and they were willing to hold my hand and walk me through the entire process, I mean, it was something that I was at least willing to try. Yeah, I, I don't switch up. I haven't switched up. So you haven't switched up at all. <laughs> Are you working for like a big company or is it a smaller company? Like So so that? we're a financial marketing organization. So I'm an agency owner with PHP Agency, stands for people helping people. I'm not sure if you've heard of it okay. before. You know what's crazy? I heard about it last night. Not because really? I was looking into what you're doing, I was on a call with a client and he told me, oh, I've been working with some agents from PHP. Do you know them? And I said, no. And so I Googled yep. it and I was like, oh, people helping people. Okay. Never heard of it before. Yep. Um, and is it stationed in Chicago? It seemed like it was, there's it's offices everywhere. It's all over. We're in 49 states plus Puerto Rico, except for Montana. Okay. I'm not really sure what's going on in Montana. We're not an actual life insurance company. We're a marketing organization. Okay. Um, and so we work with like 
couple companies just to rattle them off. Mutual Omaha, AIG, Fidelity Guarantee, yeah. and a yeah. code North American National Life Group. Just a hand. We got like 24 different carriers. And National National Life Group was um, the carrier that they were saying that they were looking at. And I mean, I work with National Life Group too. It's a great company. M- many of the ones that you said are, are good companies. Do you have like a team? Um, are you doing recruiting yourself? Um, so one of the things I love about partnering with PHP is that they allow for you to co-brand. So yeah. my agency is called a PLR Financial, so Phoenix Life Revolution. And life is spelled L-Y-F-E, which stands for living your faith everywhere. And um, our whole entire mission is to literally revolutionize the way that people view finances and entrepreneurship. And then uh, I have about 53 agents. Wow, that's huge. I mean, I know sure. I've, I've heard of people say there's a guy who has, you know, 6,000 and people have 10,000, but to have 53 people on your team is it's a ton of people. Is it mostly women? Yeah. yeah. Women. We got it. We got it. We got a handful of couples. So TikTok right, yeah. brings me in people from, from yeah. all over. And yeah. so it's really just whole holding people's hands and really teaching them how to scale. And some people, they don't want to scale. They're just like, Hey, I, I just want to produce and write policies. There's nothing wrong with that either. It just all depends on what the individual wants. MK, have you listened to podcast at all i've been i've been watching a a, a few of them and the different snippets i have okay amazing what i'm trying to do with a podcast is let people know who else is out there that they can trust that they should talk to right and lift other people up and of course if someone is not doing so well trying to call them out right now i've watched through your content everything that you're saying online i'm like yes 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 amazing like i'd love to know your standards of selling business like what in what situation would you turn someone away and if you bring in like if i say hey mk i want to come and work with you at php do you have oversight over me are you training me at all or what are your standards for who you allow to come work with you so uh Product-wise, uh, if, if you're not saving anything, let's talk, right? I have a budget worksheet. It's great. This is what nice. you should be saving, right? Let me show you three to six months of emergency expenses, right? I mean, if, if you can afford a small baby term, hey, we can re- I know you want this IUL. That's great. Let's revisit. Okay, let's get the savings up. I'm going to save the small term for now, right? Or I've had some cases where just they couldn't afford anything. And I'm just like, hey, you need to make more income. What's your plan? Um, And so I I don't sell to everyone. And I'm very quick to turn people away when it comes to the IUL because people hear so much stuff on social media. Oh my God, I watched this cash value on TikTok and and I'm like, great, what are you saving? Okay, how long have you been doing that? Oh, yep, nope, sorry not. Um, and so I'm I'm not afraid to turn people away. I, I don't look for everybody and that's on the product and also on the recruiting side. I don't work with everybody. Um, and I make it very clear for people that this isn't a get rich quick scheme. You need to actually put in work and it takes work, right? You need to be okay with potentially getting rejected. I, I tell people, these are the three things I tell people if they, if they want to work with me. I say, first, I'm looking for people who are coachable. Um, I'm not signing up to be your boss or your manager. I'm signing up to be a mentor. Um, you're going to get access to our system, our software day one. I want to know that, you know, you're going to be coachable. Uh, number two, I like to work with people who are moving with a sense of urgency. Many people know they need to change, but they don't want to change. Um, and just because I recruit you, you still need to get licensed, right? So, and that's some of the things that I, I don't understand for some people. Um, where they're like, oh, I, I just recruited someone. Great. Let's get them licensed. Let's get them paid. Yeah. And so the, the the third thing that I look for is people who are a student of the business. And so, again, you know, you got to be a student. Again, you, you get access to online, 10,000 hours of online education on top of what we have in the office. For me, if, if I have someone who is 
not local, like in this area, and there's an office in their area, I'm transferring them out to that office because I, I want them to get the best, the best leadership and mentorship. Like I take my Edith in the field, like, let's go sell together. Let me show you how I close together. And I'll hold your hand through the entire process uh, because that's literally what happened to me. Like I couldn't imagine trying to get into this industry and just trying to figure it out versus, you know, having a little bit of, Hey, I can study, be a student. We have training twice a week for our agents. And so, you know, for us, most of the people that come into our industry statistics wise, 90% of them, they have zero experience in the financial service industry. Okay. And uh, And those are typical people that we like to work with as well. You're licensed already and you got bad habits. I'm going to spend a lot of time helping you unlearn those habits. True. A lot of time. And, And I'm very big with my agents that, hey, you're a reflection of me. I need you to be successful. I need you to know how to help families. I need you to know how to have a basic conversation. So I'm very hands-on. So for my agents who are not who are not local, they don't have a local office. I, I also do train them on a week-to-week basis as well. So you're spending your time with people. Oh, it takes time. <laughs> it takes time. Like you're spending time with people. I personally don't want to do that. Like want to do that at all? Because it takes a lot of time. It does. Yeah. Now it sounds like. Are you going like business to business, door to door to yeah, the community? <laughs> no. Okay. I was like, well, when I, when I want to, right. I'm shaking hands. I'm kissing babies, but it's definitely no door knocking. I don't okay. Okay. Call. I don't do any of those things. So when you say um, go out into the field, tell us what that means. So let's say I'm sitting down with the agent or a client and they send me a referral, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Awesome. They send me a referral. We made the connection. Hey, if you're local, I'm coming to you or you're coming to me. I don't want to do zoom. Let's meet in person. Oh, so you're right. you're meeting people in person, though. Absolutely. You're not door knocking, but you're making in-person meetings. In person. And then because of TikTok, a lot of my business has been virtual because my clients are all throughout the country. Yeah. Yeah. And so but heavy, heavy on the heavy on the in-person is one of the best ways to learn. I'm because I'm curious. I don't know that I've ever talked to somebody who's doing in-person because every since COVID yeah. and TikTok, yeah. well, why am I leaving my house? But I understand it's it's so much more effective to sit down in front of someone and talk to them. Yeah, especially if you talk to a baby boomer and you're trying to roll over a couple hundred thousand, they kind of want to know you're a real person, you know? Of course, <laughs> of course. And this is a struggle with people, especially exactly what you're talking about. They're like, all right, the technology are you? Is all right, connected. Right. Forget it. I'm coming to you. Okay. Yeah, yeah, and we and you struggled to get on this and we're both in our 20s. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> Would you mind telling me, like, if you, if you could get across like a couple main points about insurance that like you don't feel like people understand. So uh, a, a couple things. Well, life insurance isn't for when you die, right? I thought the same thing, right? Life insurance, you thought it was for death, might as well be called death insurance. Yeah. Um, but there's some history and there's some truth to it, but we can talk about that later. Um, uh, other thing I would say, obviously, I, I explain a lot about living benefits. Um, accelerated death benefits for some people who might miss it. If you write with NLG, you know, um, little context about me. My mom's a 10 year cancer survivor. And so when she got sick, she had a policy with a different company by term invested difference and they don't offer full living benefits. And so when she got sick, she wasn't able to access any of the cash. And then I get in the industry and I learn about there's life insurance plans out there that can cover you. God forbid you get sick and Six out of 10 people have some type of chronic disease. So that's something that I'm very, very big on educating people on. Um, and say, if you're going to have a policy, I don't even care if it's a term policy, at least let it have the full living benefits. Um, and then the, the third component, obviously the cash value, you know, you can leverage it for, as Doug Andrew says, it's like a Swiss army knife. 
right? Whatever you want it to do for you, you can leverage it as long as it's funded, structured, and maintained properly and use those three th- three things for it to be worth it. Otherwise, it could be a nightmare. Amazing. Amazing. As far as a properly structured policy goes, what's your typical IUL structure that you're doing for uh, a 35-year-old? If they fund it, I mean, if they're funded it properly, minimum death benefit, max cash, right? And, you know, obviously they're funded to a certain threshold, increasing to a certain limit, right? Obviously selling yeah. them on, hey, you want to try to max it out? But then I've had some parents was like, hey, I just want to start a plan for my kid. What does that look like? And I'll show them like, hey, you can start here. This is okay. But just know that, you know, with your IULs, you know, that money can roll over to the next year so you can make up for it. So I don't mind selling this to you, but I'm going to sell it with the expectation that you're going to fund it more over time. As long as we have that agreement and when we do our annual reviews, I set that expectation. And so it all just depends on the on the person. But that's what I mean when it when it comes to structuring and structuring and funding it properly. Yeah. I mean and I I love that you just said it the room rolls over because this is something that I don't feel like most people get. Like they don't understand this part that if you have an IUO and you're trying to max fund it, but you're contributing three grand and your max contribution is 4000 That extra $1,000 is going to roll over and roll over every single year. Yep. And it's like agents pretend that that's not how it works and they just add this extra room every year on top. And they're just saying, no, like there's just extra room for what? Right. So I hearing you say that word tells me that your verbiage with clients is explaining that there is a bucket. And if you're not fully funding it, you need to understand that that room keeps compounding on itself and you should take advantage of it. And I'm going to teach you how to do that. Right? Absolutely. Um, I love it. Do you go over the guidelines? Like, would you say the guidelines is a big thing on your IUL policies if you sell them? to to go over the five different guidelines i cover them i mean you know i I don't i don't get too technical with people um just because again you know my audience is is middle class america so yeah my end if if, as long as i know that i'm taking care of the client and i'm structuring it properly Mm -hmm. i mean i'm going to send educational content to people about it so i just try to water it down like this is one bucket this is this bucket this is how this works and then just almost like i'm talking to a 12 year old um so therefore they can they can understand and comprehend yeah no i mean and people want this right of course middle class america things like the guideline single premium not super important but the target premium and the minimum and like the seven pay. I tend to go over that every single time to do some kind of form of education because we were in the insurance industry when COVID happened, right? And I had clients say, Casey, I need to cancel my policy. Like I can't afford to make my premiums. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Remember the minimum that we talked about? You just need to pay the minimum. Like you're good. Don't worry about it. Um, or We've designed the policy so well that you don't even have to make payments for six months yet. To me, it feels like people really appreciate knowing this. I mean, I had a client tell me just uh, earlier this week when I got to the guidelines, her eyes went, wait, what? It's that inexpensive. She's like in her 20s. We're doing 10 times her age. No, $270 a month is what she wanted to look at. And I'm getting to tell her, hey, your your minimum, your target premium around $600. And she goes, what are you talking about? Like, I, I hear people say the IUL is so expensive, you know? And so just just those conversations um, always make me feel really good about what we're doing, right? When we are yeah. setting the policy up correctly. Um, and I think it gives people kind of like puts the power back in their hands to they know the limitations of their policy. They could see how good of a job that you're doing for them. Yeah, I use the I use a bucket scenario. Like imagine you got water in a bucket, right? You got your, yeah. you got your base, 
got your ideal target and you have your ceiling where you got a couple things in between. You know, I let them know, like even when I sell an IUL, I say one of the fav- one of my favorite things I love about an IUL is the flexibility, right? You have a lot of wiggle room and, you know, I go over those things with them as well. I've had instances, like you said, with COVID come up and I had a guy like, hey man, you know, I, I, money's tight. I just lost my job. I, I need a little bit of time. Like, hey brother, you know, we're funding your policy. Great news. You don't even have to fund it, you know, pick up when it makes sense for you. Just that right there, MK, tells me that you're doing right by people. You know, like, it's very easy to tell in someone's word tracks, like, if they've had experiences where their clients are happy with the way they've designed their policy or their clients are not happy. Uh, we always fund well above target. Always, always. Right. Um, yeah. But um, let's say I have an individual. Like I just had a, a lady like this where, you know, I'll tell them, like, hey, where do you where do you eventually see yourself funding it to? If somebody's doing less than what they should be putting in, then they're not doing business with me. People are always going to say, hey, I want to do 500 now. But in the future, I want to do a thousand. And so you're going to give them a policy that's a bit bigger and they're not going to be max funding it on purpose because you're trying to give them what they want, set them up to have an effective financial tool that they can use. Right. And so it's all about then you doing the education so that they understand how to how to properly fund it and also just being there for them along the way of having their policy, like you mentioned, annual reviews, right? Mm -hmm. It would be different if you just kind of disappear, like peace, you know, things are doing business and don't bother me. Like, have you ever heard a client tell you like, "Uh, I got this policy and I cannot get in contact with my agent? Sadly, too many times. Do you feel like the fact that you're on social media kind of makes it like you can't go anywhere, like you can't hide, like you'd have to literally get out of the industry altogether (laughs) Or, right, because this is how I feel like, well, my face is everywhere. Like, I can't just like, oh, I'm not going to respond to John, you know, because John's going to see me posting TikToks. But other things like that you feel like are important that maybe other agents are not going over that that you feel proud that you're doing with your clients or with your teams? Uh, you know, actually sitting down and doing a full assessment, right? So for me, I have referral partners, right? So there may be certain things that I don't offer that somebody else might offer, right? Obviously, I, I vet them out, you know, like guarantee issue products. I don't have those things. Um, and so, you know, I, I like to still be a resource or somebody's looking for a trust attorney. Hey, I have a good referral for you. Um, and so, you know, I, I like to say when, when people think of finances, I want them to think of me. It feels like you're doing things very well-rounded. You're not skipping out on the budgeting. You're not skipping out on having other resources and other partners. Um, so that is huge respect that you're taking the time to to really understand where someone's at and build that kind of trust with them in that relationship that goes beyond just, I'm just going to sell you insurance and see you later. Absolutely. And even um, I just had an appointment like that this week. So our, our whole beginning of, of our uh, appointment was me literally walking her through her budget and like showing her where all of your money is going. And I was training a new agent. That was her first appointment. So imagine the impression that it left on her of like, wow, we, we really do help people. We really do meet people where they're at and we don't judge them. Um, I had another client where you know, we were doing her budget. I'm like, what's your self-care limit? Which, which, what's your, you know, you got to get your nails done, your lashes, your hair, like you got a budget for that. And she was like, man, I, I felt so comfortable talking to you about that. Cause she's like, I told that to someone else and they looked at me like I was crazy. And she said, the fact that, you know, you asked me that and you're not laughing at me for that is a huge reason why I'm comfortable. Um, yeah. and she had other things going on and, you know, she had a decent amount in, in retirement. I'm not moving everything because you have unexpected things that are going to take place. And I need you to have that money accessible for you as well. So 
I mean, absolutely. You know, again, doing what's in the best interest for people and not being greedy and worrying about how much money you can make off people. But again, just talking to them like they're your your auntie, your uncle, your cousin, you know, like their family. Treating people like they're people. Yeah, right? we kind of lost yeah. a sense of that. So we've lost that as a society, capitalism. <laughs> We're all looked at as numbers and working machines that just produce money and taxes, right? So if we can find it in ourselves in our own industries to see people as people, we can do a lot of good just by doing that. What other misconceptions do you think people have about insurance? Life insurance is a scam. It doesn't pay out. Uh, trash value. Trash value. So <laughs> you said. Yeah, I've heard that. By term, invest the difference. It's a scam. Yeah, all those things. But it was crazy. So I just dropped the video, and I was actually talking about it because again, I come from organizing background. So I like like I like to study history. I like to look at numbers, and yeah. you know, people have their own stories. But I feel like data is pretty clear because one thing that i find a lot uh, especially for people in the black community they're like oh life insurance is a scam is this and i say why and they'll tell a story right so i started doing more research when slavery was a real real thing the slave owners would have insurance on people like like stock almost like animals and so there was history there and i address that with people and people say that like oh it's a scam well tell me why right and then i, I tell the story i tell the history and i say but hey look a lot of things have changed and that shouldn't be a reason why we don't invest into these vehicles because they can be very powerful. And if you're really serious about diversifying your money, you should have this in your toolbox if it makes sense for you. Yeah, I mean, I I didn't know this. My my understanding of some history of the insurance product is just how our politicians, our, our white, powerful politicians were taking advantage of life insurance and how other politicians were like, hey, this is affecting our tax revenue. And so they tried to get rid of all of it, right? And the ones that had it were like, no, 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 no. And so we still have them, but they keep it on the down low, hush, hush. Don't tell everybody, don't tell middle America. You know, we want it as a secret. So not only were they, they were using it in a disgusting way, then they're hoarding it for themselves. I mean, there's a lot of bad history with insurance. Um, and we're still today teaching people what the honest, factual information is. Like I mentioned to you, I had someone on the show to kind of talk about what they're doing for their community, not as an insurance agent or a financial advisor or anything. And I was asking him, you know, what what can we do to reach different types of people? I, I I'm asking you genuinely, what could I do differently? Like as a white girl, <laughs> Uh, what could I do to be more supportive and, and a better resource for people of color to get education out there? No, I mean, that's a them? real question. I, I First of all, I appreciate you for even saying that. And I mean, I, I think you're already doing it. You're literally giving me a platform to speak. Um, and I think that that's something that's important that shouldn't be overlooked. Um, because many people can deny many things that take place in, in the U.S. And I think that it's important to have awareness and create space. Yeah. Um, that's something that I'm very big on preaching in general, right? Regardless of, of race or sexism or classism, you name it, right? Um, it's, yeah. it's very important to learn how to create space for other people to speak. Um, one thing that I've learned in, in organizing, so I'll tell you a story. Tell me. So, I got recruited in the organizer. I got recruited in a couple spaces. I got recruited as a community organizer. Okay. 
So I was uh, I was on a college campus. There's a thread made towards African-American students. They're like, we're going to hang these N-words by trees. That was the saying, and it was on a specific date. It was crazy. I wasn't worried about that. We were in Chicago. Well, we're in the south, southern Illinois, but most of the students there are from Chicago. So I wasn't worried about that. I was more so worried about people from Chicago coming down, just being ignorant, ignorant black people, whatever. And so I organized a rally. We had like 800 people attend. And so that put me on the map of like, yo, this is the activist. Hey, man, this is a leader. This is a person of influence, whatever. And so I got a phone call because I remember I was uh, still protesting all type of crazy stuff. And I, I spoke to one of these, one of the guys, he was the president of the graduate, it was a graduate student union. He's like, have you ever talked about organizing? I'm like, what is that? I don't know what that is. He's like, you should think about it. And I was like, okay, sure. I'm open. He took my number down. This was like probably in April. I got a random phone call in June by this guy. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm organizing this movement called Black Workers Matter. Okay. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, that sounds dope. You know, we're advocating, you know, union organizing, sitting outside of facilities. And I remember when I went there, okay. <laughs> I went there and we had an interview. I was on the, all the way on the west side. I've never been on the west side of Chicago in my life. If you're from the south side, west side, Chicago is one of the most segregated cities. It's crazy. I went on the West Side for the first time. Can you guess what this guy looked like? No, I'm. <laughs> he was probably of probably mid fifties. Oh God! White guy, blonde hair, mm-hmm. blue eyes, and organizing Black Workers Matter. I said, "What the hell is going on?" So, and it was funny because he had to address it. He's like, "I know you probably were thinking, you know, what the heck is a white guy doing this?" But the the thing that I've always learned, and my mother has always taught me this, is I never judge a book by its cover, right? Because if it wasn't for him mentoring me in the organizing space, I would never be doing what I'm doing today because he gave me perspective. Um, and he allowed for me to be able to see a land that I never was capable of seeing before. Um, and so for, for me, it, it's, again, just awareness and um, creating space. And I think, Casey, you, you do an amazing job at that. And uh, it's one of the reasons why I personally have followed you and, you know, take your content and then, you know, you don't come off as uppity or I don't I don't get that from you. I see uh, a powerful woman. Um, I watched your content. I'm like, like, she's not dressed up. Hair is multicolored. Like you go completely (laughs) against the status quo. And I'm just like, and I'm literally, I'm like studying your content. I'm like, how the hell does she have 160,000 people following her? And I'm just like, she, she's just real. And, and that's something that I, I really respect about you. I, I really wanted you to come on the show so bad. I've been bothering you. I, and I've told all my, everybody in my team, I was like, I really want her to come on the show. <laughs> and I, it means the world to me, everything that you just said. I really am trying to do something good with the success I've had on social media because what else is it for? What else is it for? And there's a point in there where, like, I mean, I wish I could go back and have a political science degree like you have because, seriously, because at this point like there with everything that happened with Palestine, I I thought I was woke, as as people say, but I was not. I had a serious like wake up call just in the last few months. Um, and I'm going to create space in my audience. I don't care if you don't like it, then don't follow me anymore. Yeah, I saw that as well when your content and I was like, yeah, okay. Oh. So I had to vet you out still. I was like, hey. Of course, of course. That's why it took you so long to be like, fine, okay, I'll come. <laughs> no, you, you actually called me. So I had a, I've been used by, black people use black people all the time. I'll say this. I, I think 
the issue that we have in in our country today is that people aren't willing to have uncomfortable conversations and mm-hmm. i think it's uncomfortable conversations that actually move the needle mm-hmm. um because you know you don't know what it's like to be a black woman i don't know what it's like to be a white woman but i like to know the perspective of one because that matters because i have i had my own preconceived connotations when it came to that as well and i think that the more that we can create spaces to have those uncomfortable conversations and i mean all the way down to whether it's about race. It's about class. It's about your political views. Um, you have an opinion and it matters. And I think that it's important to put that perspective out there so people can see that the world just doesn't evolve in my only lens. And I appreciate you for willing to create the space to have uncomfortable conversations that many people avoid because that's how we grow. I, I really appreciate you appreciating that I'm trying to do that. I think what I'm going to say now is that you, my friend, I hope that's okay. My friend, you are an asset not only in the financial industry, not only for your clients, not only for your friends, not only for your community, but you are the kind of person that's on track to be an asset to the world, right? To to everyone that you meet. You are absolutely 100%, no doubt, an asset in all regards. Uh, I'm so honored to have had you on the show and that you came um, and that we got to have this conversation. I hope from this point on that we can also build uh, a relationship outside of this conversation and, Absolutely. you know, continue to possibly work together to to see where this relationship could take us. So have you I'm curious because you've been doing this a um, couple episodes, give or take. Yeah. Have you had someone on your podcast that's, that was an ass or two people? One of them didn't get called an ass in the moment because I got fooled by the salesman pitch and one of them did. One of them was like, hey, Casey, um, you didn't tell me like, am I an ass or an asset? And I was like, mm, you're not an asset. You're <laughs> it was really awkward. I was like, this is rough. I was like, maybe one day. <laughs> you want to do you blast them do you put them all i did out 100 percent um ryan rush okay. okay yeah you know ryan rush yeah tiktok is small no he screwed over a lot of people um and he's still kind of in this commission breath very salesy he's not really helping people he's helping himself yeah there there are some models in the industry that teach that too get it get in get out Mm-mm. He he was being told, hey, if someone wants to pay $400 a month, you give them a $400,000 death benefit. And he was just kind of like, I, I just, you know, I screwed those people over and now I do better. I'm like, okay, but what about all those people? Well, I don't know. That's not okay. And then I had a guy on the show, Depot Adesina. He talks a lot about mm-hmm. land banking in Nigeria, buying land and holding it in another country where the people are very, very poor and the land is very, very rich um, until developers want to come in and develop the land is gentrification. I, I get it. I do. Um, I, I can see both sides. I'll say this. And the reason why I can't. Okay. Yeah. I can see it's my set of like it's going to happen anyway. So someone like myself that looks like this should be able to profit from it. Agree. So I can I can I can see that lens, but then I also still also still do agree that that's fucked up. Okay, thank God. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, because he was not only saying like it's oh it's just me, you know, he's getting people to invest with him, and so my point was kind of like, well, is everyone else black? Because if they're not, then that point kind of becomes mute, right? Like unless you're trying to say, hey, I want to create opportunities for other people of color to do this yeah. social equity. 
something mixed in there to make it make sense. No, he's doing it on TikTok. But I do appreciate your point just now of saying, like, you know, someone's going to do it anyway. Yeah, I mean, I, I can see where he's coming from in, in that perspective. You know, it'd be different if the developers are, are black and they're creating affordable housing or, you know, creating sustainable right. sources, you know, different things like that. It's clean water, you know. Yeah, like we're not evolving here. <laughs> what are we doing? Yeah. Anything, anything else you want to add to the show, to the listeners, anything at all? No, I mean, you're awesome. Um, I appreciate the the platform. Um, I appreciate you breaking things down and, and being honest. I've learned a lot of stuff from, from your profile, you know, even just different content ideas to be more relatable. Um, so I definitely appreciate you for creating a platform for me to have a voice and, you know, talk to people and then also, you know, potentially create a, a pretty solid friendship. So I definitely appreciate it. It's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. Now, please tell us if, if you want to get your license and you want to work with MK, how do they get in touch with you? How do they do business with you? Best way to reach out. Very cool. So you can hit me on the social media platform underscore motivational MK that is on Instagram and also on TikTok. Uh, there's a form. Hit a link in the bio, select entrepreneurship, and we'll get somebody in contact with you. What about if they want to do business? Uh, same thing. Hit, hit the same link in the thing. bio, select life insurance, select strategies for business owners select retirement solutions, future planning for your kids, whatever makes sense for you. Awesome. Well, MK, thank you so much again for being here. It's an honor. It's a pleasure. I cannot wait to to see what the future holds. Um, and for everyone listening, thank you so much for being here with us. This has been the You're an Asset podcast. I'm your host, Casey the Dollar. And on this podcast, we find out who is an asset in the financial industry. And who is Justin S? I'll see you next week. Bye. The You're an Asset podcast is not giving financial advice. We are not licensed financial advisors, and our licensing is strictly in insurance products. The information that we talk about is specific to the products that we work with. We cannot guarantee that other agents will have the same product features that we discuss on the show.